Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. As adults grow older, love and romance may have been lost due to death or divorce, or in some cases, may have never been a part of their lives. When an older adult is ready to seek a special person with whom they want to share their life, their perspective and focus about love may have changed. My guest today is Dr. Fania Helm, a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst in private practice. She's going to talk about issues that may prevent older adults from looking for love and why it may be necessary to address them before finding that new special person. She will also discuss how the world of dating has changed for older adults and offer tips about how to find new relationships. So welcome, Dr. Helm, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much for that nice introduction. Well, all right, Dr. Helm, let's start out with a basic question. You of all people, given your expertise, is it possible to find love when a person is older? Absolutely. But why might it take longer? Well, we older people have learned a lot about life, and we are more cautious and less impulsive than we used to be. So is it more acceptable in today's world for an older adult to prefer living without a spouse or partner? Yes, we have many options now. People are comfortable many ways. It's also possible to live with a person without being married now, without making a lot of people angry. It can be costly to marry, as a person's tax bracket may change. There are estate taxes to think about. If people combine their money, for example, it might make it so that estate taxes in different states are triggered depending on where they live. People may have to move to a different state in order to avoid that kind of thing. It also can affect state income taxes, depending on how much is coming in. And of course, there's always the federal tax. So it's quite a lot. Those are quite a lot of problems that will come even with no other kinds of problems. Yes, we haven't even gotten into the relationship itself. So these are kind of the practical day-to-day living issues that might come up. So let's talk a little bit more about the person himself or herself. Might age or physical appearance or perhaps even low self-esteem prevent an older adult from looking for love? Tell us more about that. All these things can affect a person's self-confidence. 
people can worry about their wrinkles, their weight, how their teeth look, and their bodies. A chronic problem with low self-esteem can really affect all these issues because it makes it very hard to do anything about them. Self-care can be affected. And so it's very hard to even work on these things for some people. But the best thing to do is to get going. Start working on the weight. Decide what to do about the wrinkles, if anything. And it's best to start meeting new people at the same time that you're doing all these other things. Don't wait until you get that all done because it's never done. So just go forward. And the more we do, the more we connect with other people, the better off we are and the happier we are. And then we stay motivated and we keep moving. And Dr. Helm, I was wondering, since I had asked you about age, and I just wanted to kind of uh, ask a sub-question here, is it possible that um, an older adult might say, you know, I'm just too old for this. I, you know, I've had a relationship before, or I didn't have a relationship before, but now it's just, I'm beyond thinking about romantic uh, interactions or partnerships or whatever you, you want to call it. So, I was wondering particularly about age since it's so um, subjective and, and I was wondering what you find. It's so subjective that it really depends on a person's personality and not the age, but many people feel that way. And I think it's an okay way to be. They may have tremendous interests, things that are very compelling and they like to have their own routine. They've already got their house. They've got everything in order. They don't want a lot of disruption. And they're pretty happy just the way they are. And to add another person to the mix with all that complexity is overload for many people. Now we've talked about the, the physical and, and um, the social or, or the other aspects. Let's talk a little bit about mental issues. Is it possible that depression and maybe even hopelessness might affect the ability to find love? Yes, it can, for sure. Serious depression and hopelessness are very painful. And they both can cause extreme passivity. Passivity and procrastination make it very hard to make decisions and move forward in life. These are really the biggest problems because some people want to and they consciously want to, but in their unconscious, they are so scared. It's very scary to get out there and meet people. And it's important to get treatment for anything like a severe depression or severe hopelessness. When we get older, we have a lot of losses. People we love, our own physical strength to say nothing of coping with serious illness, which many people do. This is very stressful. So talking with friends can help and a professional when needed. It's important to do something about all of this. And I'm glad that you brought up, and, and because that was going to be my next question, so you've uh, provided a nice segue into, into it, about the loss of a spouse or partner. 
is the grief or the memories of that individual, can that also have a bearing on finding a new relationship? Because I'm wondering if there's, wow, somebody's always comparing the way that spouse or partner used to be, and is there really anybody who can measure up? Do you find that to be the case often? Well, I think people need to realize, and most people do get it, I think, that you're never going to replace anybody. No one can be replaced. People can be succeeded. They can be, there can be another person, but it will be a different person. And that's okay, because it's a new chapter in a life. Now, it can be a huge hit to lose a spouse of many years or a partner of many years, or even if there aren't very many years, if the relationship is good, it's a big loss and it leaves a hole and it really hurts. Mourning is also something that's lifelong. Freud used to think that it ended or that it would go inside of a person in a special way and you'd have them in your heart and mind and you do, but it's still, Things grow and change and memories come and it's a process. And it's, you do that right along with meeting a new person. Now, there are a couple of things to watch out for because you will be meeting another person if you choose to do that. Or if it even happens to you when your unconscious is ahead of your conscious mind, you've got the new person and it makes a person feel kind of disloyal and guilty some of the time, even though if they had a spouse and there was a long illness, they may, they may have talked about this and made decisions. But because they feel guilty, people need to watch for something that sometimes happens if a person's not aware. A person, because of the guilt, can choose a new person who is not as kind as the person they would have chosen without the loss, just because they feel guilty and they have kind of an unconscious need, uh, not for anything as severe as punishment, but you just don't feel they deserve to be treated as well. So that's a really big thing to watch out for. The mourning process will be different for each person. The sadness and the loss is something you can talk about with friends. Feelings of anger, that those are not so easy to talk about. You can't talk about that with a lot of people. And most people are not going to talk about any upsurge of libido or sexual interest that comes pretty fast often after a huge loss. It's really startling for people. So these are all things to kind of know about and watch for. And they're very usual. They're very normal. They're very okay. And from what I'm hearing you say, Dr. Helm, this is important to kind of work through these feelings, as especially if you actually meet someone. But I'm also assuming that the time would vary as to how long this process takes, the process that you mentioned. Is that true? It is. And it's and the uh, acute stage, it varies quite a bit. And then there is a lifelong process too. So if you meet someone, it's 
it's okay to go ahead at the same time that you're doing the other morning if you feel that you can do it. In other words, having uh, waiting until you get all your morning issues solved is not going to work because that will never happen. You will always miss that other person for a long, long time, maybe quite a bit. So you go out and you make friends. You don't have to push anything, but you meet new people. And the important thing is not to isolate yourself, but to deepen the relationships that you already have with friends and your children, if you have any. So you and your grandchildren, you deepen those relationships and then you meet new people so that you stay engaged with life. Well, and I'm wondering to that point, my sense is that not everybody is looking for a marriage partner. Sometimes my sense is that companionship is the goal, to go to a movie together, go out to dinner, go on a trip together. Do you find people have different goals then in so far as what they're looking for in a new partner? And I guess to that point, is there a problem sometime if somebody is looking to get married as opposed to somebody else who's looking just for a companion? What do you see? That is kind of a problem for sure. I um, do think that a lot of people want a companion and there seem to be a number of people on the internet who are looking for travel companions, according to what people are telling me. They want somebody to go on a trip with, but they don't necessarily want a huge romance. They want a friend. So that you have something there that that can work for a lot of people. And especially, you know, in the relatively early stages of mourning, new friends are good without a lot of pressure. So many people also do not want the marriage for a variety of complicated reasons. And you talked a little bit about that before, but uh, if if an older adult has lost a spouse or partner, uh, it sounds like that may not necessarily um, be the case that they're looking for another spouse or, or partner. And again, you mentioned some legal issues and that. Are there other factors that might be the case as to why marriage might not be the goal? Yes, there could be many. One might be that a person has serious health issues that they're afraid will impede the relationship and cause a lot of trouble. They also may have children who are worried about their parents and worried about unscrupulous, expedient people who would rob their parents. And they also may have some more selfish interests of their own about their own inheritance. There's also the problem of the general cognitive decline that we all have with aging. Even if we don't get Alzheimer's, we all get more forgetful and we have a lot of issues of cognition. And sometimes our judgment really isn't as good. And we don't know. We don't know it. Other people know it. Our friends know it. Our children might know it. And uh, it's, it's difficult. And it's often good to go ahead anyway. I know people with a mild dementia who have gotten married after a big loss of a spouse of many, many years. They married someone else, a very nice person, a good 
caretaker, a woman who came over with a casserole after the wife passed away and the marriage started. No Mac that they were married within a year or so. It was quite quick. Do you find, uh, again, in your practice and uh, the folks that you deal with as as your clients, that it might be more likely, especially because of what you gave as to reasons why marriage might not be the goal, that maybe a younger, older person, because I always say we're talking about uh, older adults can be anywhere from 50 to 100, but that it's more likely that a younger, older person, if you will, is more interested perhaps in getting married again than one who may have some of these issues that you talked about. I think that's true. That's true. But I know a man who was 87 who remarried within um, a short period of time. I think by 88, he was married again. And so you, you don't know. It's a lot of it's the person. But definitely you're right that if you look at the percentages, you're absolutely right that younger, older people are more likely to really want to remarry. And I'm wondering also, Dr. Helm, if there's a, a substantial difference or significant difference between the number of women who wish to remarry versus the number of men. That's harder for me to know because I don't have the survey data for that. I'm not sure anybody really knows. Okay. Because often it's complicated because people, especially women, don't want to say they want to remarry because it's just a more awkward, whereas the man may talk more about it, but maybe not because people feel shy about being rejected. And, and so I, I don't know if they would say often unless asked a que- the question by somebody they know really well. Just depends. Right. Well, and and you're right. And it, it, there's so many variables too. It could be uh, culturally or different parts of the country and this kind of thing. So I understand that it varies. But the one thing I also was wondering. I mean, we think about our whole lives. If we're interested in seeking a new partner, uh, and when we were younger, we always had an ideal person in mind, uh, a Mister or Miss right, um, or a soulmate. And people sometimes have this, this idea in their head as to the perfect person. Um, do you find that still is true uh, in the ad- older adult population, or is there probably more of a practicality in terms of finding the, the person that one could have a relationship with? That's both. It's both. That's a good, good question. Everybody, I think, in their deep unconscious has the soulmate image. And H.G. Wells called it the lover shadow. And he's written an autobiography in which he talks about a lot about this and about um, the women he knew as, as an older man. So people might want to take a look at that. It's called The Lover's Shadow, and it has pieces from all kinds of year, all the years of, of one's life, starting from the very beginning. 
And Freud thought that too. And actually H.G. Wells knew Freud at, toward the end when they were both pretty old. And Freud thought that love was a refinding of old love. So it would start with our caretakers and the people we loved very much. And that would include, of course, our parents, our brothers and sisters, people we knew as young children, and especially as teenagers and adolescents, the first people we had romantic feelings about. All that is in there in a great big ball and TV and movies now for us are part of it, books we read. So that's all in there. It often isn't very conscious, although people are pretty conscious sometimes of the physical type of person they prefer. So yes, I would say that's there. Also though, as you point out, when we've lived a long life, we've known many people and we've been able to add to our, our image of a wonderful person so that it isn't the absolute basic love or shadow, but there are many, many people that we can enjoy and have relationships with and share things with. And that I think makes it easier. It makes it easier. It makes us broader and kinder and more considerate of others and better partners. And do you find also, though, that even when someone has a good sense of who they think they would be compatible with, whether it be in a companionship or something more serious, do you think at the same time that older adults are still concerned about feeling safe as they begin seeking a new partner, that they might be more vulnerable? What do you know about that? Yes, I think that's an issue. And that can make people want to stay home after a big loss. There's a general feeling of being hugely unsettled and people want to stay home. They're safe in their own home. And I think that's why it feels so unsafe to be on one's own with that hole in one's heart that it's really awful. And, and so, yes, and then, of course, there are realistic dangers. There are people who are very expedient, and there are even some criminal people that will try to scam older people and take their money and, and lie and cheat and trick them. And then there are others that are more on the selfish side. So there are quite a few things out there and it's not always easy to tell. I mean, especially if a person is fairly old and maybe has a little bit of cognitive decline, not much, but their judgment just isn't as good as usual. So there are serious issues here about safety. Some things are more safe than others. Yeah. I mean, it's very safe to be introduced by a friend that's the best and i know our great grandparents would never have gone anywhere with anyone without being introduced before then you really had to do that now friends introductions are really really good however the friend doesn't know your lover's shadow they don't know our lover's shadow 
And so they introduce us to a very nice person with whom we probably have a lot in common. And it's like any blind date. It, it doesn't usually work very, very well. It's often okay. But finding someone yourself, you're more likely to be able to find the chemistry. So then you have singles groups often organized around common interests like skiing, hiking, sailing, those kinds of things, books. Those can work pretty well. Safer are religious organizations, perhaps, although there are all kinds of people everywhere. So in person just has to be cautious. And then, of course, there's the Internet with all its issues. Well, and we're going to be talking more about that in the second half of the program, too, about finding relationships and what's different nowadays than it was when um, all of us were thinking about dating back uh, when we were younger. But uh, we're going to take a short break right now. I just wanted to let our listeners know that in case they tuned in late, we're talking with Dr. Fanya Helm, a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst in private practice. And you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We're having a great conversation about finding new relationships with older adults and for older adults. And we're talking with Dr. Fanya Helm, a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst in private practice. And Dr. Helm, before the break, we talked about feeling safe and new ways of finding uh, a partner or a companion or a potential marriage partner. Uh, I was wondering if you wanted to add anything else in terms of how things are different today and what might be possibilities. Well, you know, I was thinking also about back in the day, I was like 30 years ago, the Georgetown Safeway, the grocery store, was a place where a lot of single people met. And some of them got married and it was got to be well known as a good place to go to meet people. Well, and to that point, I know that up in Upper Northwest in the district, there was a company, uh, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was a place where you could buy all kinds of, of home supplies. And I think oftentimes women went there because she fig- they figured that perhaps they might find a gentleman as well. So there are all different possibilities as well. But needless to say, things are different now. You mentioned already the possibility, and I just wanted to restress this, about a friend uh, being introduced by uh, another friend, and sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. But nowadays, I suspect that online dating sites are more prevalent, 
of course, not only for young folks, but older adults as well. So talk about online dating sites. What do you know and what can you share with our listeners? Well, I can say that I know several marriages that have taken place because of online dating. So it can work. I know that. We are also, as a culture now, I think, pretty aware of some of the pitfalls. And there is a site called consumerrankings.com. It's consumer-rankings.com. And you can go on that and get up-to-date rankings of the internet sites. The first one that they like the most is eHarmony. The second one is Match, which is the biggest, and it has the most people. And third is Our Time It's Over 50. Now, these three have some safeguards in them to figure out safe profiles. In other words, they look at the Facebook profile of the person and they they have ways of spotting some of the fake ones. And they also have scammers detectors. Scammer detectors, I think, are really important because they're a serious issue now, not just in internet dating, but in our texts and email and all over the place. Now, the fourth one that they rated is Bumble, but they note some problems with Bumble. First of all, the connections that you make only last for 24 hours. So it means you have to go online every day. There is no verification of people's Facebook accounts to avoid fake profiles. And men can't send messages first, something that men might not like so much. The fifth one is Facebook dating. Here are some problems. The matching is limited to somebody who lives within 100 miles of you. And there's no video chat. No video chat at all. And also, there aren't very many people from the LGBTQ community. So for that community, it's not good. The others all have everybody. Then they have a few websites that they do not recommend at all. One of them is Zoosk, Z-O-O-S-K. Another one is Elite Singles. And the third one is Silver Singles. And did they say why they don't recommend them as opposed to why the other ones are uh, recommended? Is it because there's... Uh, more of uh, safeguards to prevent scammers, or what can you tell us? Definitely more safeguards to prevent scammers, even though the first three, eHarmony, Match, and Our Time for over 50s, those are the three ones with the best safeguards. Bumble and Facebook dating do have some. They have some safeguards. So that those first five, I would say, are pretty safe. And talk to us a little bit more. Obviously, I have 
never been on any of these sites. What kind of information do these sites ask for from an individual who decides to, say, set up a profile? But what do you share, and and how do you know for sure that this person is who they say they are? Well, that's a really good question. The certain kinds of fake profiles can be spotted by the computer programs that are in some of the big websites. And my, your question's hard to answer because you and I can't go on the dating site and find out unless we're going to offer our own profile. They won't let us on. So we can't really find out the exact requirements, except from word of mouth. You know, people talk to me about their experiences. And what they find is that they can write their own profile. They can change it up if they don't get the responses they want. They can put pictures and words. So they have quite a lot of latitude. Many people find this very uncomfortable, very daunting, very unpleasant. And so they hire people to write it for them. There are sites that will write things for them. And there are sites that will find partners for you too. If they cost more money, they get expensive. So there are many, many things you can explore in that world that And a lot of help that you can get in terms of your profile, having them even probably take photographs of you and put those up so that you can get them to do a lot of it and find the people. And I find that kind of interesting also as to the photographs in various places. You can just get a a picture that really isn't of you and put that up instead. Is that a possibility? I think so, because some people have said they didn't look like their picture. Right. Not only that, I'm pretty sure some pictures 10 years younger than the person actually is, they seem to appear. And so a picture, it might not exactly have been taken yesterday. Let's put it that way. And it might not even be the person. So caution is in order. And I would say if a person, if you feel at least bit uncomfortable about somebody who feels attractive, but you feel uneasy about it, I would say, listen to yourself and to your body, even around our heart. We now know there are cells that are gray matter and they're in our abdomen too. So, you know, the phrase, trust your gut, there are gray cells in the gut. And these cells in the heart and gut are very similar and I think identical to some of the cells in our brain. I don't know a lot about this and this research is moving pretty fast, but follow that research because there is something in it. And we know all kinds of intuitive things that our culture tells us, or at least some people in our culture say, don't pay any attention to that. It's all in your mind. Well, it isn't all in your mind. And what's in your mind is good anyway. You have a wise part of your unconscious that will help you. So I would get a background check if I felt 
uneasy. And you can get simple ones or you can get complicated ones to pay a lot of money. So, you know, you would decide what is going to work for you. But, but there are people out there who are unscrupulous. This is true. And one of the uh, ways of, of meeting new people is there, it's something called speed dating. Can you tell us about that and how that works? What I know does not sound good, and I don't know a lot, but I'll tell you what I have heard. One, I'll tell you about one form of speed dating. People go into a big room, and they sit at tables across from one another, and they have five minutes to meet each other, five minutes to get to know somebody. And you tell them your name and things about yourself, of course, and they do too. And then a buzzer goes off, and you race to another table. Well, for an older person, this just don't, doesn't sound like it to me. This will not work. It's much too fast, and you can't get to know somebody very much in such a hectic situation, in my opinion. So it sounds like you're not recommending that as the optimal way of, of meeting people as, a, as an older adult. But you are talking about uh, other ways, too, uh, that you can meet and learn about uh, another person while feeling safe. Give us some suggestions as to what might be a good way to get started. Well, I would say to think about your own interests and what you would actually like to do and pick something that will be fun and interesting to do so that you will enjoy even if you don't meet the love of your life. Something fun. And pick that and join a group or go places where people are doing that. You know, like if you're fixing up your house or something, you go to the hardware store. Or you, you go and join a ski group if you're single and you want people to go skiing with. You can have a lot of fun. And so that would be one way. And those ways are pretty safe. You can also choose people on the internet and you can go in your own car to a cafe or a place where you can sit outdoors, where lots of people can see you, and you can meet that person and make some judgments. So I would say those would be good ways to get started. Okay. And do you have you heard when you are talking with people and that, that there are some common problems that do arise when... Uh, an older adult does decide to enter into a new relationship. Well, what are what might what might come up? Well, anything might come up, and flexibility is good. And as we age, of course, we get more set in our ways, and we're less flexible. So flexibility will be wonderful. I would say to cultivate it as much as possible, because let's assume that you meet someone who's a very nice person and you want to see them and you're seeing them and going places and it's going quite well. And you're able to find a restaurant you like together. You're able to find a movie that you both like together. And then you're faced with somebody moving in to which house, what do you do? Do you get another place that belongs to both of you and you bring some things and 
it's exhausting. Or do you have something for me to think about? And others might feel the same way. So would you, um, or would you want to have a, somebody move into your house or would you want to move out into somebody else's house? And would you take some of your things? In other words, all these things are going to, they're, they're going to be, feel like overload for many people so that the companion could look better and better for some people. On the other hand, other people want to go full speed ahead, maybe, especially if they're one of the younger, older people. They might like to get a new house. It might be time to get rid of a whole bunch of, of things. And I, and I was also thinking, too, that, uh, again, and this may not come out right away, but one person might be very busy, some, in some cases might still be working at a full-time or even a part-time job while the other is retired and wants to be doing more things. So even uh, determining activities on a daily basis or whatever, or even the presence or absence of grandchildren. I, I can imagine that on so many different levels, there's um, a lot of, of, of things that have to be discussed and worked out if uh, a new relationship becomes more serious. That's right. Well, that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, when you, you know, remarry in your 80s, and I know two women who remarried uh, at 82, you might even have somebody's great-grandchildren. You might have little people that they want to bring over. And of course, in your 80s, taking care of little people, you really do, it is good to have a younger person helping because they move fast. And so, yes, you have all kinds of things that come up and uh, it's, it's really complicated. One issue that you brought up a little bit earlier, and I want to come back to that because I think that's really important, Dr. Helm, and that is about adult children. Are they always supportive of an older adult parent who establishes a new relationship? What are different possibilities that you might see or might arise? It's really complicated. If you have very reasonable, well-functioning children who want your best interests at heart and they believe you're in pretty good shape and they feel successful enough so that they don't feel, you know, desperate about inheritances or anything like that. You're pretty good to go. They'll help you. However, if you have children who have issues, children who are easily made jealous, they'll feel perhaps left out. They might not, want somebody else around. And that may be an issue anyway, but mature people can handle issues like that. And they want the best thing for their parent, even though it means that they have to be flexible, but they do want happiness for their older parent. So it will depend a lot on the kind of children that you have. I heard one man tell his father, you should not have made that investment because you paid too high a fee to that person who sold you this investment. And this is my money. He thought it was already his money. And that person is an unreasonable person who is going to cause trouble. 
and who is not going to be a helpful person in a situation if that father had met and wanted to marry another person. It can be very, very difficult. I'm also thinking as as time goes on, if the relationship becomes a marriage, or even if it doesn't, as adult children are involved, uh, there might be some really important decisions, especially if one of the, if the adult parent becomes ill or gets a serious illness that may require decisions as to whether or not um, in terms of advanced directive and this kind of thing and what's the best decision. And so it's not even inheritance or day-to-day interactions, but it could have something to do with what does dad or mom really want at this point in their life and, and what is this new partner or spouse or whatever. Do you see that also? I do. It's a problem for people who don't have their paperwork in order and who don't know what they want and haven't already done it. In other words, all the advanced directives, all the wills, everything should be in order already before people enter into a new relationship. If they enter into any kind of a business relationship with a new person, there should be a contract that's very good and very fair and signed by everybody and witnessed. In other words, all the legal things have to be good. So the people have to be pretty functional. If you have people that are not so functional and haven't done those things, then you have a problem because they will need to be done. And a lot of older people really don't do them. And they may function quite well in many, many ways, but it's not perfect in the sense that that's not been done. It's been left for somebody else. And so then the children step in because they're the natural people to do that. And then it it can get, get very complicated. Now, when it's already been done and the children want to step in later down the road, they may be being helpful. And so things may need to be changed. And that will definitely be, that will definitely be a factor. What people's children want is always a factor in, in another marriage. In fact, it's really, it's a huge, huge factor. And so most children and most people really want to be kind and good and do the best they can. And they will. But there can be all kinds of glitches, and it's very scary to do paperwork. I know a lot of older people who are, you know, really pretty old, and they have no will. They've never done one. You know, when they're they're unconscious, you know, they're afraid it will hasten their death. And then they have to also make decisions, which making decisions can be really hard for some people. So many issues to think about. I was wondering, Dr. Helm, in, in your experience, if, if an older adult has been hurt in a previous relationship, is it really truly possible for them to enter into and maintain a new successful loving one? Or is there always going to be this kind of distance that, well, I've been hurt before, I could get hurt again, and so... Um, there might be a reluctance even to enter into 
to begin with, but maybe they decide they should, but they're always kind of on guard. What would you tell us? Well, that I've seen that happen. I've seen people get stuck there. But I've also seen people choose very wisely on the fourth marriage. They got a good one. I know too. And it was a process of a lot of emotional growth. And it, it, it can happen. I know it can happen. It's very, very interesting because the people they choose and keep choosing are closer and closer to their ideal image, that lover shadow we were talking about. In fact, they, can, they look like the good parts sometimes of people they've known. Sometimes they resemble people's parents physically a little bit or a former spouse where there were many loving parts in that relationship. So you can see all kinds of important patterns as people learn and grow and become more loving and kinder. And it really can happen. However, I would say it takes effort. It takes work. These things are not like falling off a log. And sometimes, you know, they involve, they involve working on these things and talking about them in friendships and sometimes with professional people and, and uh, just paying attention to it and caring and really wanting to do it. So I think what you're telling us, Dr. Helm, is, is that just because people have been married before or in relationships before, these two older adults, uh, as they enter into this new relationship, they really have to work at it and establish trust. Would you agree? I do. And one thing to know about is the work of John Gottman. He looked at videos of couples for 30 years and drew some interesting conclusions. And the most important one, I would say, is to have five positive communications for every negative one. I would have thought it was two to one, but no, you need five. Now, in the middle of an argument, if you say, well, tell me more about that, that counts as a positive. You know, so it doesn't have to be syrupy, but there has to be gesture of goodwill. And humor is wonderful. These are wonderful things. And, and Gottman has written a book with Nan Silver. It's called, I think, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. And it works for any relationship, not just marriages, but living together, companions, friends, everybody. It's pretty good. Well, we're just about out of time, Dr. Helm. Any final comments that you want to make, any other, you've given us some helpful uh, resources to learn about hope, safety, and love, and places that we can look uh, in terms of online dating, but any final comments or that you'd like to share with us? Yes, I'm going to recommend a couple more authors of books. The first one is Martin Bergman, B-E-R-G-M-A-N-N. And his book is called The Anatomy of Loving. He's a psychoanalyst, and he's from Vienna. And he has quite a sense of Freud, even though he um, didn't know Freud. He's several generations younger. 
his book is excellent. And I would say Ethel Person, P-E-R-S-O-N, has several books on love. One of them, I think, is called Love. And these books you can find on Amazon, along with John Gottman's and Nan Silver's book. So you will enjoy reading those if you like to read. And they have some interesting ideas in there. Well, I want to thank Dr. Fanya Helm, clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst, for joining me today. And, and thank you so much. You've really shared some good information, Dr. Helm. Thank you for having me. So if you would like to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, all of the Aging Matters radio and TV show content can be found in addition to the ability to log on to the Aging Matters podcast, which can be found on Apple and Spotify. And Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, which you can learn more about at inkmouthmedia.com. So thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.